Today, I'm joined by clinical psychologist Carla Anderson, who understands the importance of supporting parents during the perinatal period with some helpful tips for both new parents and our wider village. Before I start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we work, which is the Kabi Kabi and the Gubbi Gubbi people. I'd like to recognise the continuing connection to the land and waters and thank them for protecting this coastline and its ecosystems since time immemorable. I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all First Nations people listening today. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Hello, welcome back to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host today, Vicky Oliver. If you have been enjoying the Raising Wildlings podcast up until this point and you haven't yet liked and subscribed, this is your invitation to do so now on your podcast player of choice. Do you know what also really helps is when you share those moments or those episodes that really have brought something to your life or a moment where you're like, oh, I really want to share this with my family and friends because what it means is we get more listeners and ultimately what we share on this podcast we believe is so valuable uh, and it helps us to achieve our ultimate goal, which is getting more kids outside and um, helping more families to achieve that freedom that we know everyone is really seeking. So it's really helpful if you could write us a review, that would be greatly appreciated in any other ways that you can support us. Uh, You have no idea how much gratitude we extend to you in um, helping us to continue this uh, amazing work that we do here at Wildlings. Now today on the podcast, um, I have a very special guest, Carla Anderson is a clinical psychologist that we have here on the Sunshine Coast and she's the director of the Perinatal Child and Family Hub and today we're going to talk about all sorts of things that come with parenting, particularly in those very early years of that, like, you know, pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy and those early days and months and years uh, where we're trying to find our feet as parents or having to remember what it's like the first time around. Uh, And I think that this information is really, really helpful in remembering that we are all doing such a great job as parents. If you're listening to this podcast, then I know that you are one of those phenomenal parents out there that are always seeking to learn more, just like we are, um, because raising our little wildlings is one of the most important jobs we have, really. So I'd like to introduce you today to our special guest, Carla. All right. So because what often happens is I start talking to the guest and we get straight into a podcast. I'm just going to start straight away and welcome you to the Raising Past. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. As always, we want to, I'd love to get your background. So tell me about how you are, where you are today. Oh, where I am today. So today I um, run the Perinatal Child and Family Hub and have a team um, of other professionals. Uh, Basically, though, I've been in private practice since about 2005. And my focus in that time has been on perinatal plus child and youth. And that, that came from where I started way back in the beginning, 20 odd years ago, working with child and youth in a domestic violence service. So I was working with child and youth in a domestic violence service. I also worked with um, child and youth mental health and then also started seeing a lot of parents um, in the perinatal period. So that was how that all evolved into the perinatal child and family hub 
of today. Okay, so let's start with that vision that you've got for the perinatal hub. Um, what is it? What kind of services do you provide? Um, so we've got a range of different health professionals here. So I wanted to try to create a bit of a one-stop shop for families. So we've got a team of psychologists um, and we have a perinatal infant and child psychiatrist as well. There's a speech therapist that um, comes in. Um, we've also got a lactation consultant and some visiting midwives that come in and help out with some groups as well. So just wanted to have a range of different services. It's an all-encompassing team, isn't it, to, to support families? It is, it is. Yeah, and the other, like the other thing too is in the little complex where that we're in here, um, I started out sharing a little space with um, a paediatric OT. And so as I've expanded into the hub, he's also expanded his paediatric um, OT service. So it's really, it's a really lovely little complex where we've got a whole range of services for that kind of the paediatric and parents. Oh, that's amazing. So I guess my first question, which I think is probably a struggle for so many people is, what are the biggest barriers for parents seeking out help? To coming to someone like you, what what are the barriers that we've got in place that make it hard for people to access support outside of perhaps their family network? Probably the one of the biggest barriers at the moment, particularly for children, and um, our services one that is in this boat as well, is having the capacity. Um, the demand for services is so great. And so at the moment, like even ourselves have got limited capacity from for psychology, basically. Um, and I know that that's kind of, that's a common theme across a, the different um, health providers. So that's one of the biggest barriers at the moment, I think. Like the, the demand's always been there, but I've, I've seen, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, and it's really tricky because, you know, it's something we're really passionate about. It's really tricky not to be able to yeah. have that space all of the time. Um, to feel that, yeah, for people to be able to get into services. Absolutely. It just feels like the demand is growing and the supply is just not there. Uh, And also finding those right fit people that are going to be there in the capacity that they need to be, you know, like people don't have the bandwidth to be um, shopping around someone no no and that's what makes it really that that and that is a big barrier and I I don't know what we can really do to to change that much um because I think it is a yes it's a kind of a supply demand thing where there's there's not enough of this um at the moment but um yeah it is it is a bit like trying to find your trusted health professional whether it be um your GP or child health um, that may know who in your area does have a bit more availability, and we and if we can't get people in, we'll often try to give a couple of other suggestions too. So um, it is it is just ask, it's asking for other suggestions, I guess. Yeah, that's right, and that's what I'm hoping. Like we can do, and I know that you do a lot of work in this too. But it's like helping the community know how to take some of that burden. Yeah. Um, one of the statistics I read was that one in five women experience postnatal depression, one in 10 men experience it as well, and then the same rates for non-parents as well. So what are you seeing as like one of the main 
problems that's causing the stress and anxiety that comes with parent with new parent parents. I guess depression can happen at any time, whether you're a new parent or an experienced one, right? Yeah, and this is a conversation that I have quite often, actually, because it, it, it's it's one of those things which hard is hard to know whether it's um, whether it things are the statistics are more prevalent today, or whether it's getting increased awareness. And so more people are able to identify when they're struggling um, or whether it's um, like, I guess we do know that we are seeing that COVID has obviously had a big impact both on children and, and parents. So, so it is a bit of a tricky one. However, I would have to say, you know, having been working in this field for two decades, basically, like the demand has always been there, but I think what's happened is, yeah, it's, it's been a bit harder for people to access services of late, yeah. Are, are there specific pressures or there are specific things that, are, are, that we can maybe start to look out for as a society to alleviate the burden, the anxiety that women are feeling and, and men and, and people surrounding um, parents? Yeah, I think that there's, there's so many different, variables that um that that do contribute you know based on what I see in my practice and you know like it's over the years the the pressures on families have really increased so there's a lot more pressure on families today than than what there may have been you know in generations gone by um you know where you know there's a lot more juggling between both parents working and um child care and and even just um extracurricular activities and things like that outside of the home like life is a lot busier and I think then we throw in there things like social media um which then builds this other layer of expectations around what life should look like and puts all this extra pressure on families as well so I I think that there's this whole range of different factors that um that contribute. Yeah, it seems like a lot. And, mm. uh, it it breaks my heart to think that there's so many people out there that need that support and that help in that such a vulnerable time and you're just getting all of this information. One of the things that um, I know a lot of women that I know have struggled with too is at, at some point you think, I'm going to parent this way. And it's usually the way that our parents parented us. Yeah. And then you throw in social media and this new age of and we find out new things and we think, oh, wow, there's different ways I could do this. And so particularly for a lot of the women I know, but it's not just, you know, one parent might start to change their ideas of how they want to do things parenting-wise and their partner's not on the same page. How do we communicate well to listen to each other, especially when we get really passionate about what we, we found out and what we know and how much we've read and you know, it's supported by science and and all of these things and you're trying to in someone who's not as in it as we are. It's really tricky. And and this is all that though navigating so many different transitions and changes when we embark on the parenthood journey. There's there's so much preparation for birth. Um, but then not a lot for what comes after that. And so but I think the key word in there is that is that communication, but being able to communicate in a way where it's identifying what are those different ideas we've got. And often they do come from our from our own experiences of being parented. So we'll we'll both come to this relationship with um, the things we liked or the things that we didn't like about how we were parented. 
and then we've got to try and combine that with what somebody else liked and didn't like about how they were parented. So that's where a lot of things can come a bit unstuck. And so it's so important to communicate that stuff and and even having a conversation like that going, well, what were the things that you liked? What were the things that you didn't like? What what would you like to do different? And trying to hear each other's side of things and going, what what do we want it to look like for our little family unit, which is unique to us? It is unique. And, um, mm. we, we, I just remember being um, one of those mums that went down many rabbit holes when I first became a mum. Yeah. Um and I I really just things that appeal to me are often, you know, like that biological evolutionary approach and I loved attachment parenting and I went down that rabbit hole and it just made so much sense to me but what I started to see with that attachment theory and that side of parenting was it actually comes with a bit of a bad name or a complete misunderstanding of what attachment theory is. Mm. And like a tick box of things you must yes. baby wear, you must breastfeed, like extended breastfeed and you must co-sleep and you must and all these things. And so if people are like, well, I don't do those things, I attachment parenting wasn't for me, but they've actually missed the point that. Um, so can you explain a little bit about attachment and what what are we getting wrong? About? What are some people's misunderstandings and misconceptions about it? I, I this is this is something that gets talked about quite a bit, and and I think that there is a lot of confusion around um, what what some people would refer to as mm. attachment parenting, and what we know as attachment theory. And so, as as practitioners, practitioners, a lot of us work from an attachment theory framework, and that actually looks quite different to what um, people see from an attachment parenting frame. And you know, it's it's thinking about Attachment theory, you know, is thinking about how a caregiver responds to their infant or their child in terms of helping them mm. to feel safe and secure. And so sometimes that, that message gets a bit muddled, I think, and people get really confused and it puts these, I think it can put these really high expectations, like you said, of these tick boxes of yeah. I have to do it like this and these are all the things I need to tick, whereas if we step back a little bit and go, actually what is it mm. um you know like i i um really love circle of security framework which you know talks about you know the circle that our, our child goes around where we need to allow them to go out and explore but then also be that secure base for them to come back to um and so that's that that that's a bit different to you know i, I don't know a lot i don't know a lot about what the ins and outs of attachment parenting is but yeah like the, the baby wearing and things like that. Um, yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, from my perspective, it's that people have attached certain things that we do to facilitate attachment um, and there are some things that really help yeah. but then it became instead of a if this works for you, this this can help, like this can make that easier for you. Like if you baby wear, it keeps your baby closed off and keeps. But then sometimes it doesn't work for people and yeah. you end up creating conflict between you and your child because you're trying to force something to create connection but you're actually creating disconnection because your baby doesn't want that um it's like when those people are like oh you felt so guilty because I yeah I didn't my I, you know I wanted to bed share or I wanted to co-sleep with my child but they just didn't like it I'm like but that's again missing the point like it's not the tick box of the things that you need to do in order to create a secure attachment a secure attachment comes from that ongoing relationship and knowing you and your child 
which not everyone knows. The child is different. Every parent is different. Yes. There's combinations of all these things. Yes. yes, those things help, but they're not essential for you to have a fantastic relationship with your child. No, and I think, and I think you just summed all of that up quite beautifully, actually. And it, it's it is really about going. You know, it's it's not one thing or another thing. Um, yeah. It because you know so many different so many different kind kind of concepts are going to work for different families, and that's what I was saying before about that uniqueness is you know like circle of security for instance might be a a really good concept for some families whereas you know then others others might go um down a different type of parenting style and it's not not necessarily about going this is the right one this is the wrong one but it's yeah it's not feeling that pressure that I need to do it exactly like this to be doing that perfect job yeah and I think that's really important for parents to mm. hear that more often mm. is that, you know what, it's fantastic that we've got access to all of this information and ways of being and doing. It's more about read something. If it feels true to you, then you can follow that to the whatever degree you can. And then if it stops being working for you, then that's okay too. Yes. Um, that all we can do is take what we found out and use that in a way that maybe will benefit that can that can that continuing connection, which is what I guess we're trying to do. One of the things that I was thinking about too, that separation anxiety with children. Yes. But actually um, it got me thinking because I did see on one of your Instagram posts about um maternal like separation anxiety. I actually yes. I, I mean I wouldn't say that I had yes. it to it, but I actually identified with that, you know, what I was trying to avoid was my child feeling that separation anxiety and like but what I actually found, especially with my first, was that I was actually putting myself in a position where I felt like I couldn't separate from her. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Oh, it, it's just think, it's thinking about it in very similar lines in the way that we think about ser- separation anxiety in children. It's it's that safety. It's, you know, I it's that feeling, our hard wiring that we need to protect our babies and we need to be close to our babies. And when they're close to us, I feel safe. My anxiety goes down. And yeah, it again it sets it sets you up a little bit for um like what we were talking about before, that it might, you know, it, it can impact both of you in terms of then being able to separate and be be resilient and be able to feel confident to venture out on their own and um know that, you know, we're both gonna be okay to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you trusted people in your life that can cope with with having a baby and yes. that they can give them what they need and that they don't have to be solely reliant on one caregiver. And that's what I think I love about that evolutionary perspective and looking at the way we used to do things or when, you know, or even currently the way lots of people around the world do it when they um, live in more of a quite close-knit village is that that duty was shared. It wasn't to one sole caregiver and that's where I feel like modern day parenting has gone to that like you are the one and only and that's so much pressure for parents to that, and that's actually one of the things I, I didn't mention before which was going through my mind thinking about the what are what mm. are the differences and what are the barriers today is and you know seeing the demand go up is that yeah we don't have the villages mm. anymore so people are spread out all over the place and co- if COVID shown us anything it's like you know we can be quite separated yeah. from one another when when things get locked down. So 
you know, that is one of the things that's really different is we don't have that extended family or support network that, that was there generations ago. And so, yeah, I think that that's something that's, you know, that's why we do a lot of groups here. Um, we, like we do our circle of motherhood group and things like that because it's, it's not so much about, yes, it's a therapy group that we do therapeutic stuff in the group, but my passion for those kind of groups is more about let's start to create these little villages. Yeah. Um, let's start to create these connections where, you know, these mums can then venture out outside of here and feel like they've got other people in that closer proximity to them. They might have lots of other people yeah. in distant places, but just being that person that they can just call in and have a cuppa or um, say I'm having a, having a bad day. Cry on their shoulder when their baby slept. Yes. All yes, things that we need to do when you know, and and to know that we're not alone. And yeah, I think that makes such a difference because you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And having a baby is such a life changing event, and you can feel like I'm the only one that feels like this. And that would be, you know, my my kind of catchphrase that I use a lot is, "How do you really feel?" Because I think a lot of parents don't often share how they really feel. Yes. And so when you have that, when you, when you start to build that village, you start to have other people where it's like, yeah. oh, you feel like that too. And it just takes, that just takes a whole lot of pressure off. Yeah. You can feel seen because, you know, mm. I think that there's such a, there's a lie out there that babies need to be a certain way. You need to feel a certain way. And if you don't feel that way, there's mm-hmm. something wrong with what you're doing. Um, when actually most people are going through yep. something very similar, or maybe they don't have the sleep struggle, but they might have another struggle. Like it doesn't mean, you know, like, mm-hmm. or maybe they don't have a sleep struggle right now. doesn't mean that they haven't had one or they aren't going to have one mm-hmm. um, because we don't know mm-hmm. how our children are going to fare for whatever reason. And when we normalise that, it just it makes, I, I think it will just make parenting so much such a better place for people, particularly in those early years, because we're laying down that foundation for our family. And yes. I, I yes. really think we need to place that importance on on holding our mothers and our fathers in those early years so that they, when they do get to those negative, like, as what people say, oh, you know, when you're looking at that next level, like, you know, when you've got a baby and you're looking at people with five-year-olds and when you've got a five-year-old and you're looking at the people with 10-year-olds and you're looking at teens, um, is the common theme for me is that you just swap one hard for another. Exactly. It doesn't get easier. It's just the hard changes. And the more that we can hear people's experiences and, and that storytelling, I think that's why storytelling is such a huge part of being human is because then we don't feel alone. Yeah. And it's so it's so interesting because I often talk about that as well, the different stages, because I think a lot of people can get a bit stuck of things are going to be okay when... And it's that keyword when when baby sleeps or things are going to be okay when baby walks. And mm. so, so we constantly have this expectation that, okay, right, I'm going to get to this point and then it's going to be roses. Um, and so you kind of, you know, we, we set parents up to fail in that sense. Whereas I, I love going, you know, it, it will be hard. It will be a different kind of hard. But, hey, look at the hard you've just done. And you can store that and go, I did it. I didn't think I was going to do it, but I did it. And so you're constantly building on those strengths as you go through each of those stages is to go, I've done this before, I can do it again. Exactly. Do you know what's really interesting? A friend of mine, my kids are 8 and 10, um, and there's a whole slew of women in our circle who are now having second, a third, fourth, fifth babies, which we thought, you know, for the most part, we thought we were all out of babies. And so 
was holding a friend's newborn the other day and um, she said, I forget how stationary you become and how you think you're going to have time to do things and you don't. And it's so easy to forget that. Like I'm only eight years out of that. And I was like, wow, yeah, I would. My assumption again, even though I've been through it twice, Mm -hmm. is that you forget what it's like for new moms. You forget that they are, it, it seems like there is all this infinite time in the world, but really you are not time rich you are incredibly time poor and it is such a slow time um and that needs to be written into our narrative so much more yeah yeah rather than you know like you know if you just do this then this is gonna yeah. be better it's yeah, like, yeah. You know, sleep when the baby sleeps and like that might work for some women and it might work for lots um so mm-hmm. you know that that might be a good tip but also know that if you don't sleep when your baby sleeps that is also what most what happens to most women as well and that's and that's the key it, it comes back to that that uniqueness of each family unit and each each individual in that family unit and going yeah what 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 do you think is going to work for you like I can I can give you all the all the tips and I can do all of this stuff but it's it's in reality it's like it's having that confidence in yourself to go to feel it, is that good enough parent stuff it's you know, having that having that confidence that you know what I'm doing I'm doing a good enough job, you know, and that we need to aim for good enough parenting versus perfect parenting. Absolutely, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I'd like to switch gears a little bit mm. here, and I might add a little trigger warning to our listeners because I want to um, ask you a little bit about parental grief. So, any of our listeners right now, if you've gone through any sort of um, grief process or child loss or any other grieving process, um, I'll just let you know that I am going to be asking um, Carla a few questions about that now. Um, but I know this is an area that you are um, you have a lot of experience in yeah. and I do want to talk about it because I know yeah. that I personally um, made what I thought was a supportive comment to a friend years ago after she experienced a miscarriage and I have since learned that that is definitely not something that you say to someone and so um and obviously over the years I've been watching the ways in which grief can present itself for parents from the really unbearable loss of you know unimaginable child loss um miscarriage but also Mm. birth trauma um maybe even grief grief around not the gender of your baby or of identity or fertility or whatever those things are so I have two questions that I wanted to ask around this and the first one is um as a community what are some things that we can do to hold and support families who are experiencing grief of some sort because I think that we're so scared to have the conversation so we have no conversation or we say the wrong things so how can we switch this around to give people some tools to help? The when we when we think about these kind of grief experiences, what we call them is disenfranchised grief. Is and and you summed it up beautifully there. It's often something that other people avoid talking about because they don't because they don't know what to say. And so that that's the first part is going say something. You know, even even if it makes you really uncomfortable. Um, say something because not saying something is going to make you make that um person or that family feel even more isolated we we are you know there there are there are things that we might say that um we may be well-meaning but come out not so well-meaning and i think if if that was to happen 
it, it's just trying to own it. And if you don't want, oh, you know, like, I'm so sorry, I didn't, you know, I didn't, didn't realize or, or just something like that, like just owning it. Um, because it, because it can be quite anxiety provoking in that moment to think, oh, what do I say? But there are, there are a couple of key kind of comments that we say to avoid. And they're things like a sentence starting with at least. Mm, so, that was the comment I made, at least. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, you know, like we're human. We, we, we're going to say, we're going to say things like that. And so it, it, it is just bringing that to mind to go, you know, like, you know, trying not to say things like at least because that can feel a little bit minimizing. Um, Absolutely. And, and, but you know what it is, it's just about going, oh, like I didn't realize and owning it. That's like, I think that that's doing that is really important rather than just shutting down further and yeah. um, not talking. Um, but you know, there's, again, there's, there's so many different beliefs and things like that and pe- different understanding. People's have, people have different understanding of loss. And so they may make comments that feel okay to them, but aren't okay to the other person, particularly when we talk about babies. It, you know, comments like, you know, you can have another yes. baby or or things like that. And that can be really tricky. And because if we think about it, if somebody lost their partner, we wouldn't say you can have another partner. Get remarried, yeah. yeah. Get remarried or you can have another, you can get another mum. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is trying to be mindful of those comments like that. Um, but sometimes it's just, you know, it, it, you might even say, I don't know what to say. Yeah. But that, but that's still saying something. It's like, I, I have no words or I don't know what to say, but I'm here. And it's, it's letting that other person know that you're there. Yeah. And another thing I, I saw a friend, um, had not that it was about child loss, but she's going through a grieving process with her mother. And, um, mm. I just didn't realize people said things like this, like, um, you know, it's been X amount of time. You should be over it by now. Yes. I just, in my mind, that people say these sorts of things um, and just reminding people that grief doesn't go away. Um, and I just, I, I just want our communities to start having more conversations around this sort of thing so that we, mm. maybe we don't in that spot where we're like, I don't know what to say. Maybe I do have more tools to help support you or I can at mm. least ask. Um, because uh, grief is a natural part of being on this earth and, and being a human uh, and mm. maybe, and, and that's the hardest thing. Some of us haven't really experienced it as in the way that many people, other people have, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to come in contact with it. So we, we need to talk about it more. So I just don't want people to feel more sadness and loneliness around a time that just would seem so horrendous. And that's- that's where it is so important to talk about it because when I when I think about grief, I know it is the same, well, similar for talking about mental health, but grief more so. Like I know when I was a kid, you, you know, it was like, um, you know, kids don't go to funerals. Um, you know, like there was quite, you know, and some people might still have that belief and that's okay if that's your belief. But it was, I know it was kind of this, you know, we can't expose kids to um heavy feelings mm. you know it's it's this belief that we've got to, we've got to protect them from these heavy feelings and the difficulty with that is that then they become adults and they may not have they may not have experienced these heavy feelings so they don't know what to do with it yeah and so then if they don't know what to do with it themselves how are they going to know how how do people know what to say and so it it is that 
you know, why it's so important to, you know, build that emotional resilience in kids and, and have those conversations about these heavy feelings and help them to work on ways to um, to deal with some of those big feelings. Yeah, and I, um, I guess that leads to another question I have about teaching kids strategies in self-regulation mm. as well. So, you know, having those big feelings is a natural part of being a human. Yes. Uh, I don't think a lot of adults know how to self-regulate, um, but let's be on a journey to work that out for ourselves and then model that for that, our children. So, you know, how do we do that? Like what's some, what's some ways that we can help? Lots of talking. Um, you know, it's not something that we learn. So we learn everything else <laughs> at school, but we don't necessarily learn, you know, what do we do with our our big feelings? And the number of comments that I've had over the years about, oh, I don't know, I, I don't know whether bringing my child to see a psychologist is going to do more harm. Um, and, you know, it, but it's like we're teaching them how to, you know, how, how to to regulate these big feelings. And, so it, it is trying to shift some of those mindsets a little bit is to go, you know, we, we need to help either, you know, we, we either teach them by talking to them about um, what yeah. to do, but, you know, we, we also help, we can help model that stuff in ourselves and, and do that co-regulation work yeah. with them too. So helping them to see, and, and that's that's probably what I was talking about with the grief. It's like, you know, it, it's okay for them to see some of those big feelings because we want them to see, well, how do you process that and how do you work through it? Obviously, don't want them to see these big feelings all the time. Like everything can um, in balance. But, yeah, so it's it's starting to, you know, it's having those conversations about feelings with kids. And I think that that's actually so much better today. Yeah, it's like I think so. The, talk about what the feelings are and you know thinking about well how do you know when you're feeling those feelings so you know where do you feel your body and um you know, a lot of that you know listening to your listening to your your feeling in your tummy and your gut feeling that we as adults we get kind of taught out of whereas you know it's trying to go encourage kids to to listen to some of those feelings and then um, go, well, what do we do with them then? Yeah, so and I think that's sometimes the misconception about um, the role of counselling um, psychology mm. or, or therapy. What kind? That, that's what you do, right? Like that's your role is yeah. to maybe give names for things. Uh, yeah, so that yeah. they don't feel like it's a really abnormal way of looking at it. Or yes, it's that feeling that you have, but um, here's some some way different ways of looking at it. Or this is how you know here's a strategy you can use if you're feeling that way. Um, because I don't mm. think that people really understand what role that takes because all they have is watching someone sitting on a couch in a TV show yeah. as an yeah. example of what you do at therapy. And oftentimes it's, you know, it's it, it's for entertainment, so it probably does vastly different to what it would look like in an actual real setting. Yes, that's right, that's right. Um, and that can scare people off maybe from going to seek help because they don't see the benefit because their their misconception about it is wrong oh definitely I think it's yeah it's not not knowing what happens in a therapy session mm. but also that misconception that you you know that you need to be oh, what's the word like really really struggling yeah. to go and see somebody it's it's yeah so it's kind of thinking about it from that proactive perspective and go you know it's it's actually really beneficial you know to to do a lot of this work before you you get to that point yeah um yeah yeah because often what's going to happen is you might get to that point and it's going to be hard to get that help so exactly um 
Yeah, are so beneficial yeah. and I think that the work that you're doing is such fantastic and important work for new mothers I I just sometimes want to I mean we've got our own mission here at Wildlings but another part yeah. who just wants to wrap new mothers up in big blankets and yeah. make them and want them to know that they're doing such a good job um yeah. and that there's support out there and you know what that's something that we can do as a society too is um we can tell other mothers or other parents when we think they're doing a good job. We we don't often Yeah, I love to see that. Yeah. Yeah, we don't often say that. It's like, you know, like I'll have conversations with people and I'll be like, oh, I'm so proud of such and such. And it's like, did you tell them? Um it's like, no. Uh so yeah, so it's like, oh why did because we're not um encouraged to do that. No, we're not very good at receiving, so it's very hard to and because we don't no. Yeah, and we're not seeing it modeled, but the more I see people lifting each other up, yeah, like the smiles I've seen on people's faces when you know, whether it's someone you know or a random stranger. I had a random yeah. stranger say to me one time in the supermarket that I was doing a really good job when mm. about something. And I couldn't knew that anyway. Like I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy. But yeah. it really impacted me. I was like, thank you so much. Like yep. that means a lot that you see me right now in this moment, even though I don't, I'm not struggling. Yes. Someone sees me yeah. in the community. I think that works the other way too. I remember when my kids were little and I was really struggling in, in the shops um, with them and a stranger come up to me and said, um, said, oh, you are handling this so well. And I was like, I didn't think I was. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I think it helps, you know, when we do think we're doing a good job, it, it, it's helpful to have somebody else say that. But when, also when we feel like, oh, I don't know that I'm doing okay here. And then somebody says, you're doing great. It was like, oh, okay, right. Um it just yeah. yeah. That's the gift we can give people is just those yeah. that that one comment that could just eradicate an entire week's full of shit show. Yes, yes. In that one moment by by seeing someone and just recognizing how hard we're trying through. Yeah. This struggle is sometimes a massive struggle to, mm. you know, like I always say, like I'm a huge proponent of positive parenting, but sometimes I think, gosh, if someone actually saw me out in the real world sometimes and saw that I wasn't doing the things that I say that I think are really important because I'm human and, you know, like it's important for people to hear it, that you've got that intention somewhere in you, you're doing, you're raising human beings and it's hard. Yeah. That's the gift we can give people that can be maybe everyone's little um, goal for the week is to reach out to someone and say something encouraging and awesome yeah yeah that'd be amazing oh thank you so much Carla I'm going to wrap up our interview today with a few rapid fire questions for you because our listeners always want to know these things about our (laughs) um our guests so what's um either your favorite book or a book that you think or that you're currently reading that you think our listeners might really enjoy My, my favorite book actually has absolutely nothing to do with um, parenting. So I think that sometimes that's really good too, is to have something outside of being a parent. And it's um it's a bit of um Nora Roberts, which is a bit of romance and um crime mixed in together. Yeah, I love that. That's the thing. Sometimes we just need a suggestion of something outside of what we yeah. normally go for, a reminder of things that we enjoy that Yeah, yeah. That's I, I just love that. Yeah, escape from reality. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you go to reset after a really tough day or a tough week? Uh, um, I love being outside. I love being outside. I love having a, um, you know, starting up the fire pit. Like that's 
being being in the quiet that um that helps reset me oh that's amazing um yeah this question <laughs> always throws people not always sometimes um, if you had to change one thing about the education system what do you think that might be oh definitely um more of that focus on um learning about emotions and and recognizing and what to do with them yeah I- which i think is I think it's happening. Like I, I, you know, it's certainly different today than what it was. Mm. Oh, there's a um, there's a, years ago, a lag yeah. for people to actually learn it themselves. I think that that's the biggest gap yeah. is that most adults don't yeah. know it. So once they do, it's easier, mm. easier to embed it mm. in our conversations and pass it on. Um, yeah. All right. And where can we find out more about you and your work? Um, so I have my website, so just perinatalchildandfamilyhub.com. Um, or on Facebook, or on Instagram. So there's a whole heap of information on all of those. Well, we will be linking all those in our show notes for our listeners. But thank you so much for thank joining you. us today. I was just so nice to remind all of our parents that they're doing a great job and um, where they can seek support if they need it. Yeah, lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Carla. Well, I am definitely going to take that homework and run with it this week and see how many people I can Remember to verbalise what I'm thinking, especially when our friends and our village and people around us are visibly trying their very best and maybe actually need to hear someone say it. So that's my little task that I'd like to assign to you. If you did share some words of kindness, um, we'd love to hear about it. So if you want to pop onto Instagram and, and let us know, or perhaps a time when someone extended you some words of kindness and how that made you feel uh, so that we can continue the kindness train in our community. Now, before I go, I also just wanted to let you know again about if your curiosity has been piqued about starting a nature play business or some sort of business um, surrounding children or forest school, what you'll want to do is check out our signature online course, Your Wild Business. Now, this is a business Kickstarter program like you've never seen before. It is specifically designed for teachers, um, if you're a forest school leader, perhaps you're an outdoor recce or an early years educator, and you're actually ready to take the leap into the big wide world of business. If you want to do that, we can help you take the guesswork out of starting from scratch. Most importantly, if you want to avoid the three most common mistakes others have made when starting their nature play business, you can head to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash wild business and check out our exclusive training to get you started on the right path towards your very unique wild business journey. We will also share with you our proven seed sprout blossom framework that will help you create a nature play business that's deeply rooted in community values and purpose. So again, wildthingsforestschool.com forward slash wild dash business to check it out. Now, as always, I have absolutely loved sharing this episode with you and doing this journey with you. So until next time, stay wild. Mm-hmm.